0: Hello, good morning. It's good to be with y'all. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm the church planting resident here at Restoration. Uh, past week and a half, I've been out of town spending the holidays with family. I also spent Christmas morning at another church. Um, it was a good time, but I did miss being here with my church family, so it's good to be back. And I'm back and preaching for you all. So that's my gift to you all uh, after the holidays. Um so uh today we'll be in God's Word, uh John chapter two, verses one through eleven. There's our passage. Uh we'll be looking at Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. Um so this is the first of the signs that Jesus did in his ministry. Um you can find it on page eight hundred eighty-seven, um, or we'll have it on the screen as well, so you can follow along with me. Um so let's go ahead and pray uh for our time in God's Word together. Father, uh, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for uh, the holidays. Thank you for the reminder of Jesus coming onto this earth, being our Savior for us. Uh, we pray for your spirit to be with us to help us to understand your word this morning. So thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. Now, if you're like me, uh, there's often an emotional low after the holidays. Uh, there's hopefully you know good family time, good food. Maybe there's good time off from work right Um, but we know that holidays eventually end Um, and you have to go back to your old routine and that and I know for me that's often kind of disappointing that's kind of a downer it's depressing Um, as a kid I've always dreaded that feeling Uh, at the end of Christmas break on that Sunday I've always had that thought in my head man I gotta wake up for school the next morning and ever since becoming a Christian I've had a similar feeling about Christmas Right before Christmas, you do this whole Advent season. You have a a special sermon series. You light candles. Um, You sing Christmas-themed songs. You have Christmas parties, right, all for the anticipation of Jesus on Christmas Day. You get excited about Christmas and what it all means, but then Christmas Day comes, and then it goes, Jesus is here, we've all celebrated, and I've always wondered, now what? What do we actually do on December 26th? All the energy and hype, all, the, all that time off, the traditions that we do that feed the energy and hype, and yet tomorrow is going to be another regular Monday morning, right? It's kind of a downer, right? It's kind of disappointing in a way, and I know for me that's, that's what's been true. And I think when we look at life, disappointment is a reality. Uh, in my community group, we make sure to share highs and lows with each other when we meet, right? We all want to share the highs uh, but we also know that because we live in a fallen world we also have to share the lows with each other every christmas is going to be followed by a post christmas every weekend is going to be followed by a monday life is full of ups and downs the disappointments are going to be constant in life And today, that's why I wanna look at this passage this morning, John chapter two, we're heading into a new year, right? But there's also going to be lots of disappointments in the new year. As God's people, we need to know what to do with disappointments. When things aren't going the way that we want them to, what do we actually do? In John chapter two, we're gonna see Mary, the mother of Jesus, experiencing the same thing. She's dealing with the same question. And what we're going to see are two types of responses that we can have, that we can make in the face of disappointment. And then we'll also see how Jesus responds to our disappointment as well. So, how we're going to do that is by splitting this passage into two parts. Uh, the first part will be verses 1 through 5, uh, which shows us Mary's two responses to disappointment. And then we'll look at verses 6 through 11, which is Jesus' response So what's going on here, right? What John tells us is that Jesus is at a wedding. And it's not just any wedding, right? Uh, Mary seems to have an important role at this wedding. And it's also a big wedding because Jesus' disciples, the, one that, the ones that he just met in the previous chapter, chapter 1, they're also invited to this wedding. So it's a big wedding in the region of Galilee, um, and Mary has an important role in the festivities. And what happens is something that can't happen at any wedding, right? You run out of food and drink, and in this case, it's the wine. And for the bride and groom and Mary, this is a very bad thing. In Jewish culture, this is a very shameful thing. It's social humiliation for Mary. And for the bride and groom, this is actually kind of viewed as like a bad omen uh, for their marriage. And I think this sets the stage for what I think we've all experienced as followers of Jesus when we face disappointment, when we see that social humiliation or just hum- humiliation that comes with from within, when we see that shame coming on, what do we do as Christians, right? What does a good Christian do? Well, you go to Jesus about it, right? And that's what Mary does. In verse 3, we see her first response to her situation. She goes to Jesus with her problem, and she says something to him that I think that we can all relate to as followers of Jesus. She says to Jesus, there is no more wine, meaning, hey, there's a problem. Can you fix it? On the surface, this seems like the right response. Um, if you go to, if you got a problem, you go to Jesus about it, right? That is the correct response. It makes a lot of sense. And I think it makes a lot of sense for Mary, Because for the last 30 years, she's known that Jesus is someone special. Even before he was born, she was told by God that he was the promised Messiah for the whole world, right? Jesus is here to fix things. Jesus is here to redeem things. All this is true about Jesus, and that's why all of us should go to Jesus about our problems. But in verse 4, Jesus gives us a glimpse of actually what's going on within Mary's heart. He says, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So, in the midst of this disappointment that Mary is experiencing, Jesus actually says no. He says no to his mother. And I think if we're like witnessing that conversation, right, and we're just imagining what is going on, I think we can see the disappointment and how much that would have sucked for Mary. But why does Jesus say no, right? If we pay a close attention to Jesus' words, Jesus actually invites us into his perspective. Why does he say no? He's not saying no to Mary's desire to have her situation fixed. He's saying no on her desired timing. Because for Jesus, he actually has a plan, right? He has a ministry to do. He has miracles to do, things to say, things to teach here on earth. And what he's saying to Mary is that actually that's not up to you. You don't determine when my miracles happen, the things that I say. You don't, approach to Je- you don't approach Jesus as a means to an end. And Jesus makes that point clear to Mary in what he says. The whole plan of salvation, to fix all things, is not up to any of us. It's not up to Mary. It's not on her timing, right? It's not on our timing. It's on God's timing. And I hear, I think, what we see through Mary is something that I believe gets in the way of joy when we experience disappointment. Mary's first response to disappointment is to approach Jesus as a means to an end. And when we do that, we actually can't have a relationship with Jesus. If we approach him as a transaction with our own timing right, Jesus is actually not going to cooperate. Now I think for all of us, we can actually relate. You know, I've been there, I'm still there. I actually struggle with this every single day. Even this morning, I'm struggling with that, right? Just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean that you don't struggle with his timing. God promises many good things, right? For example, one is that he's going to build his church. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, Not even the gates of hell shall prevail against the church. You know, I believe that. I mean, at this church, I'm the church planting residence, right? Right? I mean, I'm staking my life upon that promise. And, at, and But you know what? I actually do confess to you this morning that I actually struggle with that. I struggle with the timing of that. I struggle how God wants to complete that promise. If it were up to me, I want the speed to be up to me, right? And actually, maybe if we can tone down the, the, the difficulty level, we maybe make it on like easy, right? Um, church planting is not easy at all. But here's the reality, right? God's plan is not up to us. It's not up to Mary. It's up to him. God promises to build and grow his church, right? But that doesn't mean that he has a specific promise to restoration that, hey, you're going to plant a church or, hey, here's a building for you that you can go into, right? It's not up to us. We don't know how that's going work to work itself out. And I think that's really hard, right? We're praying as a church, your church leaders are praying that all this happens, right? I'm praying, we're spending resources, time and energy are being spent upon me. And I've also staked, actually, my livelihood upon this promise. So I can kind of relate to Mary. She believes in Jesus, right? But it's very hard in the moments where there's a lot of uncertainty. And I believe that many of you can actually relate to her as well in your own way. Like me, you've probably maybe done a lot of praying to Jesus to show up, to fix things for you, right? Can you take care of this situation? But like Mary, you've experienced God saying no. God says no to you. So what's the solution, right? What is the proper response to that disappointment? Well, we see it in Mary's second response in verse 5. She surrenders to him. She recognizes that Jesus is right. She sees that she can't tell Jesus what to do, and instead she puts faith in his plan, even though she doesn't know what that plan is. She doesn't know how it's going to work out. And I think I was, I was thinking about this this past week. That's a pretty extraordinary, extraordinary thing for Mary, because of all the people on earth at that time, who maybe had the most authority to ask or request something from Jesus? Who has the most relational capital to ask Jesus for a favor, right? We all want to ask Jesus for favors. But who is the one who can actually do that on earth? That's Mary, right? It's Mary, his mother. So what we see Mary do is actually kind of amazing. In Jesus, she has the tough responsibility of him being her son, but also her Lord. And when she hears Jesus' response, she recognizes that she actually has to lay down her privileges of being his mother and surrender to him as Lord the hour of Jesus' ministry the start time of his ministry to save the world is not up to her so what does that mean for us it means that we actually have to surrender to Jesus too like Mary we don't know how God's plan to save the world is going to work itself out right we don't know when or the methods that he's going to take to do it you know thankfully we know more than Mary right Mary knows that Jesus is the Savior of the world. She didn't know that he was going to die on the cross. But yet we see here Mary placed faith in Jesus. And for us, we know Jesus does die on the cross, right? We know that part of the story. But yet we also don't know the next hour, the hour of his return. And that's actually how we can relate to Mary. In the same place that Mary is in in this moment, we are also in that moment as well. We are called to the same faith that Mary has. Mary's faith in Jesus and his plan in the midst of her disappointment is the proper response that we all should imitate. And what Jesus is going to show us in the next several verses is actually faith in him actually works itself out in the end Um, because what Jesus is doing here on earth is so much bigger than the one problem that you see in front of you. He's allowing temporary disappointment, so that you can have eternal joy in him. And we're going to see that, uh, see Jesus do that in two ways uh, in verses 6 through 11. So let's go to our Bibles again, uh, verses 6 through 11. Follow along with me. Now there were six stone jar- water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Canaan in Galilee and manifested his glory, and the disciples believed in him. So, in the midst of Mary's disappointment, Jesus actually responds. He doesn't have to, right? The proper response to disappointment is faith we, faith in a plan that you don't know, right? But Jesus, in his mercy and his grace, responds willingly. He responds with a sign, a sign that points to where he's going with his plan. And we get two things with his sign. The first thing that we see with his sign is that he's going to remove the shame and guilt that weighs upon us. And we see that in the purification jars that he uses to turn water into wine. In Jewish culture, the purification jars held water for ceremonial washing. This is water that that they used to wash the utensils, the dishes, all the hands of the guests at a wedding. They used this water to wash them. It's basically water that touched everything, and it's also a reminder that sin is present, even at a wedding, right? Now, as I say that, you may be uh, seeing where I'm going with this. Uh, The very water that touched everything and everyone, the very water that touches everything because sin touches everything, this is the water that Jesus turns into wine. This wine points to the blood that Jesus will shed on the cross, and what he does on the cross touches everything. It's just not a single moment within history, but it touches every single moment throughout God's story. No longer will endless amounts of ceremonial washing be needed, but the single washing of Jesus' blood. That is what his sign is pointing to. And I think that's a reason for joy. The second thing that Jesus does with this sign is that he shows us that he is better. Jesus is better. So much so much better that it's actually going to surprise us. And we see that in verse 10. It's when the master of the feast is surprised that the best wine is served after the poor wine. And he's surprised because in Jewish culture, it's actually customary to serve the good wine first. And as the wedding progressed, you serve lesser wine because, you know, guests, they won't notice as much or maybe they won't care as much. Um, maybe, you know, maybe not a good thing. But Um, But that was customary, right? Uh, But what we see here in the story is that the progression is flipped. And that's surprising. And why is that significant? Jesus is is doing something better than we could ever imagine. You're at this wedding, right? You get to serve this good wine, and it gets better. Now, we don't know how it's going to get better, right? Mary, when she goes and requests something from Jesus, do you think she had in her mind, yeah definitely turn water into wine. I mean, no, (laughs) that's not what I'm thinking. And I think it's safe to say that for Mary, Jesus exceeded her expectations when he turns water into wine. So with Jesus, the best is always yet to come. You may be disappointed now, but Jesus is doing something way better than you could ever imagine later on. So in Jesus, we have someone different than any other person that we've ever experienced. Uh, Mary caught a glimpse of this at the wedding. Uh, Mary, uh, Jesus takes away the shame and guilt upon our hearts, and he provides abundantly good things, better things, and that's why Jesus is someone we could put our trust in. During the Christmas uh, holidays, I asked my parents a question. Uh, what would you do if you didn't have to worry about anything in your life? And I asked that because my parents have spent a lot of time worrying in their life about money, about having enough food, clothes, a place to live, things like that. And what they said was actually kind of convicting, made me actually love my parents even more. Um, They said, we'd like to actually spend more time with you and your brothers. Now, my parents aren't Christians. They aren't trying to share Jesus with me. They aren't, you know, trying to share the gospel with me. But... Indirectly, they reminded me something about Jesus. Jesus lacks nothing. At this wedding, he creates water. it creates wine out of water. Let's not become desensitized to that, dulled to that. That's a sign. A sign of what? That he's an all-sufficient God. That he's doing something better. I think it's easy to become desensitized to this miracle, that water turns into wine. What does that mean about Jesus? He is the all-sufficient God. And like my parents, God does actually want to love me, right? But unlike my parents, God is not held back by anything that he lacks. The worries of this world occupied my parents, and that was something that I had to learn throughout my childhood, that I can't go to my parents about every single problem that I have and that they have the ability to fix it. But in Jesus, we actually have someone very different. We have someone who is better. In Jesus, we have someone who is perfectly present, someone who is perfectly sufficient, loving, someone that we can actually go to him with our problems and needs and that he actually wants to fix them. And what Jesus announces at this wedding is that he's that type of person. If only we have the faith to see it. If only we have the faith to see what water turning into wine actually means. We can't just gloss over that. The title of this sermon is Joy in the New Year. And what I've been doing my best to do is point to the faith. That points to faith is the reason we can have joy in the new year. Faith in Jesus is the path to joy. It's not the fixing of your problems or the avoidance of your disappointments. There's actually a type of joy that exists in the midst of problems, in the midst of disappointments. And through Mary, we are shown what it is. When you surrender to Jesus, when you trust him with whatever is on your heart, joy is actually near. Now, I understand faith is hard. Right, Disappointments are weighty disappointments can kind of blind you, right? Because that's all you can see. Like how can you believe that Jesus really cares for you when things aren't going your way? But just to end with this, let me show you how amazing Jesus is, how amazing his plan is. And Mary didn't know that. And she and what Jesus does later on in the Gospel of John is quite amazing. Mary is only mentioned two times in the Gospel of John. The first time is here at the beginning in John 2, at this wedding. The other time is at the end. She's mentioned uh, at the time when Jesus is dying on the cross. When Jesus is suffering, John actually records to us some words of what Jesus says to him. And I'm going to paraphrase this, this it's not verbatim. But basically what Jesus says to John is, take care of my mother. On the cross... Jesus was not thinking about himself. Now think about that. Jesus experiencing a disappointing situation. A shameful, humiliating situation. And it's easy. We've all been there. Who's it? Who are we thinking about in those situations? I know I'm thinking about myself. I'm like, how am I going to get out of this situation? This is about me. But what does Jesus do? He's thinking about his mother. He's thinking about Mary. At this wedding, Jesus says no, but he does that so he can say yes to Mary at the cross. On the cross, Jesus goes through the most disappointing, shameful, and humiliating end so that you would never have to. And that is the good news of Jesus. Jesus is better. His plan's better. Mary couldn't have thought that out. We can't think out what's going to happen at the end of this time when the hour of Jesus returns is going to surprise us. It's going to be better than anything we could ever imagine. He is the good wine that we can put our trust in no matter the circumstances. And if you do that this year, I think there can be joy on the other side. So let's pray and then let's do communion together. Father, uh, we thank you for this time to hear from your word. Thank you for the faith of Mary. May we have the same faith that Mary had in in this moment that we may trust you with our disappointments when things aren't going our way. When there is things that are blinding us to the truth, may you help us to see the sign. You had water turn into wine here, but there is the sign of your death and resurrection. May we see how good that is and look forward to what you will do in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.